You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of TheBarkBoard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I'm Lucio Arik, your host of the show, being joined, as always, by Jackson Moore, the publisher of the Bark Board. And Jackson, not exactly the the type of game we were expecting this past weekend, but what, what's your overall thoughts on, on what happened uh, against Cal Poly? Hey, the Bulldogs, they won 35-7. to It's hard to complain too much, but I know in our... <laughs> everybody, was, everybody was predicting double that score, though. I mean, but- yeah, in all of our predictions, we uh, we had a lot of greater score than that, and um, even the betting line was forty points. So the Bulldogs, by most measurements, underwhelmed, and uh, more so. I know a lot of our, our fans and posters and readers on the bark board commented about what they saw, and the general consensus was a concern on the O line. Jake Hayner got pressured quite a few times, and. Um, you know, didn't see quite as much of the running game maybe as they anticipated, and the defense was good, not great. I mean, they only gave up seven points. Again, it's hard to be too critical, but Cal Poly did hit the red zone three more times that they went for it on fourth down, and credit the Fresno State for getting those stops, but Mustangs certainly could have put more points on the board if they would have just booted in some field goals. We saw a lot of other FCS teams in week one just couldn't do that, kick those field goals to keep the score a little respectable, so uh, kudos to Cal Poly for uh, going for it and trying to make it a game and credit to Fresno State for making those stops too. But uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. We saw some good things. We saw some concerns that weren't alleviated quite yet. And now we go into an Oregon State game that's uh, viewed by the oddsmakers as a virtual pick right now. So uh, we, we, won't, we didn't get some of the answers we were looking for against Cal Poly, but we certainly will find out good or bad some of those questions against the Beavers this weekend. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the Beavers come into town and it's, uh, well, I, I, the Bulldogs the last couple of times have pretty much had their number, but uh, we can't put the the Beavers uh, behind us. Uh, they're, they're coming to town and the Bulldogs are going to have to uh, have to face them and uh, they're going to have to show a little more of the playbook than they did against Cal Poly. Right, Jackson? Because they really did not show much against Cal Poly. Yeah, it was pretty vanilla, and then uh, some of the strategies, I have to imagine that we're not going to see eight offensive linemen playing every game this season and rotating from possession to possession. Now, Coach Tedford did say on Monday, don't be surprised if they do do it again this week against Oregon State. Uh, He mentioned that some of the positions, there's not a lot of drop-off, and it's going to be hot again, so it's a way for them to maybe keep the offensive line fresh and not wear down, but um, yeah, a variety of things, both offensively and defensively. I, I know and I'm sure that quite a bit of it was kept under wraps and that it was a bit vanilla uh, in order to uh, keep things from Oregon State and from USC coming up. And even personnel-wise, I think they were doing some things differently that they won't do this week. So it's another way to not quite judge the Bulldogs on that Cal Poly performance. But um, there was definitely ebbs and flows between the hot first quarter and the slow second quarter and uh, there wasn't a lot of possessions even in the second half to, to really get a great idea of how that one went so I think the Bulldogs touched the ball four times and scored twice uh, so 
expect a much different Fresno State team against Oregon State, but there's still, yeah, I've mentioned some key aspects that we're, uh, we're still got to see if they're going to live up to what they need to do this year to have that really special season that the Bulldogs could potentially have. Yeah, and it seemed like the uh, uh, everyone fared very well uh, this past weekend with the heat. Uh, there wasn't too many uh, injury stoppages for cramps or uh, heat-related uh, issues. Did did you see the same thing I did, Jackson? There, there didn't seem like that was affecting too many people. Yeah, and the Bulldogs got out of there healthy, too. Otherwise, uh, no major injuries from that game. Uh, Evan Williams had to leave, and that turned out to be a cramp, but it looked like it might have been did turn out to be a cramp and uh, Dante Bull was out briefly. It uh, doesn't seem to be holding him back in practice this week at all, whatever he was dealing with. So, I mean, that's another big win as well. Um, I mean, it's uh, every week you're always concerned you're going to have someone suffer an injury, but the Bulldogs got through fall camp almost 100% healthy, basically um, almost no one on the two deep uh, that was not available for the Bulldogs due to the health. And that continued in week one as well. Oregon State's missing a couple guys that would probably contribute if they were healthy, but also on that side, uh, none of the, the major stars are absent for them either. Yeah, it seems like uh, both teams came out fairly uh, healthy, uh, which is a good thing. Um, and so uh, the Bulldogs are, are going to get tested this upcoming week. Uh, but what they were able to accomplish this past uh, weekend against Cal Poly, uh, there was one player that, that pretty much stood out, and I'm pretty sure you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nico Romillo was just awesome and electric. That's the word that uh, Coach Tedford used after the game was electric, and uh, that was a, a very accurate one. Uh, every time he got the ball, it was exciting. And, you know, Nico's the guy I covered over in Cal for the past several years. Uh, he's been a, a pretty special player over there too, but not quite like this. Um, I just felt like he had a different attitude and a different excitement with the, the offense that he was in. Uh, definitely more of a, a high-powered, open offense than what he was running at Cal the past couple of years. And you, know, you could just see him. I know he had a family rooting section, and he was really uh, hamming it up a little bit for them after some of those big plays. and after uh, halftime and that kind of stuff. So he just seemed to be having a good time. And for Fresno State fans to see that translate into exciting plays, he had two hurdles over defenders. Now, Coach Tedford said he, he wants to maybe not see that happen so much in, in future games. Uh, not looking forward to having a, one of the star players up in the air, vulnerable like that. But it was definitely exciting to see at the time. Uh, I mean, he put up big yards got in the end zone, um, but did it as a runner and as a, as a receiver as well. And I just talked to the coordinator today. I was really curious if that stuff was kind of organic or if they went out of their way to, to kind of get him involved for the first game. And he said it was a little bit of both. I mean, the, uh, the jet sweeps that uh, Remy Hio ran were clearly designed for him, but uh, some of the passes that came his way were just a uh, product of what was going on on the field. So, um Overall, we knew Fresno State had at least five really experienced, talented, uh, big number of receivers all coming back. And how was Ramihio going to fit into that? And uh, as far as game one was concerned, he was the star of the whole group. 
Oh, absolutely. He uh, he seemed like uh, he was getting most of the touches. Uh, some of the other players were kind of uh, fading into into the background. Uh, one that you can mention would be Cropper uh, wasn't really all that active. Now, I'm not sure if that was by design. They didn't want to get him uh, too active in this uh, in the Cal Poly game and kind of save him for Oregon State, but I, I, I don't know, Jackson, was that more of a game plan or just they were going with the hot hand? Yeah, I think part of it is more so the way that they're used because now Jalen Moreno Cropper is out on the outside this season. He used to be in the slot for the past several years, so we're used to seeing him get the ball on those jet sweeps and on certain design plays where that's just not going to be quite the same role for him this year, and in turn, uh, Remigio and Eric Brooks are going to be the guys usually on those types of plays. Um, so I, you know, I've heard that sentiment a lot from a lot of fans and others in the media, but you know, Marino Cropper did have seven catches for 63 yards. Um, uh, Josh Kelly was a guy who only had three catches for 39 yards, so even less than that. Um, I think it's going to be dispersed quite a bit throughout the season, but you're just going to think you're going to see Marino Cropper's numbers come in a different way than we're used to. And so it's going to feel different this season. And, um, you know, if you're not used to hearing Marino Cropper as well, and you didn't catch the memo for those out there, uh, he is going to be going by that name this year to honor his late grandfather. Uh, they announced that right before kickoff, uh, the day before, I believe last week. So, uh, he will be Jalen Cropper will be Jalen Marino Cropper for, uh, the entirety of this 2022 season. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, after you read those numbers, uh, seven catches for X amount, it sounds like he, he was busy, but I think we're just so used to seeing him almost on every single play uh, that it just seemed like he wasn't being utilized, but apparently he was, and we just weren't noticing. <laughs> so if that's a, that may be a good thing. It may work in his favor because he might just be able to sneak up on some teams that way. Uh, everybody's too focused on Remigio uh, that they're going to forget about Cropper. So <laughs> it uh, it really may work in his favor uh, moving forward. Um, the running game looked like it was kind of struggling a little bit, Jackson. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I didn't see as much of the running game as I anticipated, um, especially – when you look at the numbers, they did finish with 33 carries, 172 yards, five yards to carry, three touchdowns on the ground. I mean, it, it looks like a pretty decent day overall, but a lot of that did come in the fourth quarter. The game was mostly under wraps, and they were running some clock and running the ball. And they did well in that scenario, too, which is sometimes the hardest to do when the team, your defense knows what's, what's coming. Um, but... For the majority of the game, I mean, I think I looked up in the third quarter and the Bulldogs had like 300-something passing yards and like 70 rushing yards, and that felt a whole lot like last year, which wasn't so bad. I mean, last year was fun, and they went 10-3, and but I really feel like the times that the Bulldogs were underperforming really had to do with the fact that they weren't running the ball as strongly, or whether it was due to the offensive line or just overall balance, and it led to being a little more predictable and for teams like Hawaii to just drop back and play the passing game and not have to worry about the run and, and steal that win. And just the overall sense of what happened in that Boise State game, I think, stemmed from some of that. The offense really struggled uh, with 
Jordan Mims not being available in that game very much. So that's something I want to see more of, and I think it's going to be a big key, especially this weekend against Oregon State. I mean, if they can run the ball well and be balanced, I think this offense is going to hit a different gear and really going to be able to control the game. But if they can't, it is going to come down to Hainer and all those receivers making big plays under uh, some some hectic circumstances, perhaps. So uh, I do got to give credit to Malik Sherrod, though. He earned that number two job, and he took eight carries for 69 yards when it was all said and done. Uh, really proved that he's coming along, and um, you know most of that for him as well was towards the end. We didn't see him mixed in as much in the first two or three quarters with Jordan Mims, but I think eventually uh, we'll see him handle some more responsibility in the, the main lineup too. Yeah, it. Uh, I I I do predict that they they're gonna need to get this. Uh, I agree. They need to get this running game going if they're gonna be able to have a better balance and and avoid the type of game they had against Boise State. Now, one way they're gonna have to do that is they're gonna have to get this offensive line solidified and 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 going. Your overall grade of what you saw this past game with the offensive line because that was a huge question mark coming into this game. Yeah, there were definitely some some ugly moments. Uh, they gave up three sacks, which is um, you know not the worst performance, but it's not great. And especially against Cal Poly, he didn't want to see that happen. Uh, there were several other plays where Hainer got hit, or was um, you know under pressure when he got rid of the ball. There was one play where he had a defender wrapped all the way around him, and he tried to shovel it. And, uh, a better team might have housed that for a pick six, but fortunately it fell innocently incomplete on that one. So th- those were the kinds of things that those plays sporadically throughout last year were, were big concerns, and you wanted to see those not happen this year, to see an improved O-line, to see Hainer not make some of those mistakes. And unfortunately, they did appear against Cal Poly, and, and hopefully that will be a teaching point. I know... Um, Coach Tedford is not going to be very lenient for some of that stuff. Uh, but overall, for the O-line, um, you know, we saw eight different players rotate in and out. We saw a great performance in the first quarter, uh, pretty disappointing performance in the second quarter from that group, and some ups and downs. So I would say incomplete. It's hard to tell. Um, still hard to tell, too, who won some of those jobs, I think, Bula Schmidt was, uh, I was told, was the MVP of the O-line in terms of grades, and uh, he was the only guy that didn't rotate out for most of that game at center. He was basically in there with the other four spots coming in and out. So we may see some more rotation this week, um, and we'll really get a good test of um, both how this O-line goes up against the power how uh, the offense kind of meshes together with that group. Yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, curious to see just how they match up against a, a Power 5 school, uh, Oregon State. Um, but uh, as far as the defense is concerned, it looked like they were pretty solid. They just had uh, some issues with the quarterback. Now, from what Tedford said, they weren't expecting this quarterback to actually start uh, the one that showed up for Cal Poly. And so what do you make of that, Jackson? They had to make some adjustments on the fly there. Yeah, we talked even in our podcast preparing for uh, uh, Spencer Brash all week long, the former Cal transfer, the same guy that started against the Bulldogs last season. Instead, Cal Poly sent out Gaden Jones at quarterback. 
Um, I was even when I heard that news, I even looked at the depth chart in the press box that we were provided from Cal Poly, and Jaden Jones wasn't the backup either. He wasn't listed as all at all, and uh, all, out of nowhere, he all of a sudden he's the starter, um, and a completely different quarterback too. I mean, Brash is more of a pocket passer, tall, you know, traditional looking quarterback, and um, Jones was a, a smaller, speedy, you know, scrambler and a guy that can make plays with his legs and. That is certainly what he did against the Bulldogs. Um, I don't think they were quite prepared for some of that. He got loose a couple of times, made some plays with his legs, but wasn't too big of a threat in the passing game. The Bulldogs pretty much held their own. About the only two passing plays that really stick out to me that were concerning were uh, just a pass to the line of scrimmage to Chris Coleman, who uh, Kale Sanders missed the tackle, and he sprinted off for 57 yards. So, and that's not too big of a breakdown to worry about moving forward. And then they did throw one touchdown pass where guys shook loose a little bit in the end zone. Bryson Allen actually caught that at Twitter Union grad. So um, overall, I thought the defense played pretty well. Um, they had a few lapses, which uh, you don't want to see, but I'm not terribly surprised by either just because it's a new scheme. Some new pieces are in there. Uh, that's totally to be expected by any defense in its first game like that. And um, to only give up seven points, again, pretty solid showing by the defense. Yeah, absolutely. The The Bulldogs looked like they were doing what they needed to do in order to make this uh, – to, to just keep uh, Cal Poly off the board, and they, they were pretty much successful. Now, that's going to be a different story heading into next week, uh, but the, the it seems like the Bulldogs got a good, uh, good start uh, with Cal Poly. Now, you know, as we now start to switch gears for the, Cal, uh, the uh, Oregon State matchup, Again, this week, the heat will become a factor. Uh, it looks like it's going to be probably somewhere about 100 degrees by the time it's kickoff, Jackson. Um, again, it's it's going to play its hand in this game for sure, right? Yeah, I think um, right now I'm almost worried it's getting too cool, actually, for Saturday. <laughs> I was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, usually I I, I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh, it's going to be about 100 degrees. Dang, it's going to be cold for Oregon. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so I was. You know, usually I ask my Alexa before practice <laughs> what the weather is. And uh, yeah, Tuesday's practice, it was 114, 115 degrees. Um, we actually had interviews in the shade because otherwise, people like me who do interviews with their phones, they all would have overheated. So oh, yeah. I was very grateful for that. Um, but it was, uh, you know, I asked what's what the weather Wednesday, what's the weather Thursday, what's Friday, 108, 107. All of a sudden, Saturday's into the 90s right now. It was 97 forecasted yesterday, and I'm, I'm looking right now, it says 92. Uh, so it might not actually be that bad, especially considering Friday's still 107. Uh, for whatever reason, we're going to get a big cool down just in time for the game. Uh, it's still going to be hot, still going to be in the 90s. It's going to be muggy, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, my, my phone right now is telling me it's going to be 90 degrees. Wow, yeah. So you've got 92, I've got 90, so take your pick. <laughs> yeah, I'll take either right now as far as being there, but uh, you do want the Bulldogs to have as much of an advantage as you can with the heat, and uh, I think last Thursday it was hot enough to where even the Bulldogs had some lapses in that second quarter. <laughs> uh, it might have had something to do with it, but... Um, yeah, maybe we can we can get some mid nineties. I think that's right in the sweet spot where the Bulldogs might have 
little bit of an advantage, and it will still be uh, pretty pleasant to sit inside, especially after the sun goes down. It's going to be looks like it's shaping up to not be miserable <laughs> in Valley Children's Stadium. Yeah, it's going to be uh, probably a good day, uh, which right now uh, they're expecting to al- uh, almost have a full house. I believe the last time I checked, they were at about 95% of the tickets have been sold for this upcoming game. Uh, so what do you make of that, Jackson? First sellout in a, f- a few years here? Yeah, so they, it sounds like they're under 2,000 tickets left. And my count uh, should have a... Uh, should have no struggle selling those out maybe even before Saturday. I would be surprised if there's a lot of uh, walk-up tickets still left by the time game day comes around. So if you don't have your tickets, make sure you, you go grab those quick while they're available. Um, of course, uh, you know, this is almost a, a sensitive topic now because um, at the press conference on Monday with Tedford and Hayner, uh, someone asked Jake Hayner that how? Why will this? If it's a sellout crowd, why will the performance be better than it was last time around? Because the Boise State game last year was the first sellout in several years, ah, okay. and we all I remember that. that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I've tried to as well, and Jake Hayner did too. Because you could tell when he was asked the question, it was like, "Dang!" Like, <laughs> I, that's a fair question, but I don't really appreciate it all that much. <laughs> Uh, he he answered it uh, very well. He said there's a different expectation with this coaching staff and especially for this team that they've gone through that experience already of what happened last year that they know what they need to do to to not repeat it and I think they're so focused in on on what the season could be that they're not going to be shaken for any reason by a, a bigger crowd and the expectations that come with that this time around. Um, hopefully, I was highly encouraged and join a lot of people in the Fresno State community that are trying to uh, uh, get fans in the, their seats a little earlier than normal. Um, it was a bit of a late arriving crowd, as you would certainly understand on the Thursday last week. But for a 7.30 kickoff on Saturday, um, it would really be a, a really neat experience to not only see Valley Children's Stadium sold out, but to have the crowd rocking and in their seats as the team comes out onto the field because you know we're both now on the field these days. You're with your video camera and I'm with my photo camera. And, uh, that's one of the things I sure notice is when the team comes out, was what, is, what do the stands look like when they run down the ramp and the smoke's going off or whatever else. There was a motorcycle at the team on Thursday. So what does it look like? And, um, you know, frankly, most games it looks pretty sporadic in the crowd. And then maybe seven minutes in or so, all of a sudden it looks pretty full. But there's no replacing the juice that comes from running down the ramp with the full crowd. So hopefully we see that, and hopefully the, the red wave is loud and, and into this one, just because it's this is one of the uh, very few times I was looking back because this game the, the betting lines are about a pick 'em point favorite underdog that's swinging around right now, and there haven't been too many games like this where the lines less than three points, where the two teams are considered that closely even and they're both getting top 25 votes I mean, it's a nationally relevant game and uh, a big loud crowd from start to finish could be a difference maker yeah if they have a lot of people in there that's going to be uh uh really a, a different type of an atmosphere and uh and the bulldogs really do feed off of that 
Um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be f- a fun place to be at if if they can get it rocking because uh, I remember the good old days, Jackson. Uh, it, it it it's sad. I have to kind of re- the ones that really stick out to me is back to David Carr, uh, the David Carr era. That stadium was rocking almost every weekend. Um, and if they can get it back to that kind of a level, uh, the Bulldogs are going to be very tough to beat here uh, here at home. Uh, I mean, am I wrong, Jackson? I, I mean, they, they were rocking back then. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully this matchup against Oregon State brings back some of those memories. Uh, if you were alive for it, you certainly remember uh, a little over 20 years ago now that the Bulldogs knocked off that top 10 Oregon State team, rushed the field, took the goalpost down. and I mean, that's an all-time memory for uh, the Red Wave. And, of course, Oregon State now is back uh, more than two decades later. Uh, they're actually 0-6 all-time in Fresno. Uh, it's been a while since these two teams have ever played, but um, you know, hopefully that sparks some of those memories. And I'm sure all week long we're going to be seeing highlights. I'm already seeing it on social media, those goalposts coming down and the excitement that was in that game. Uh, Oregon State's head coach, Jonathan Smith, was the quarterback for the Beavers in that game. So um, there's a lot of tie-ins that are kind of bringing those old memories back to the surface. And if the Bulldogs can win this one, it sets the table for big crowds throughout the year, uh, even regardless of what happens at USC, whether they win and people go berserk at <laughs> the Coliseum, or you know, even if they lose, it's not really going to hurt their resume too much. So, uh, this Oregon State game kind of sets the table for what could happen in Valley Children's Stadium the rest of the year. So hopefully it's loud. Hopefully the Bulldogs uh, take advantage. Absolutely. This is going to be one of those uh, uh, games that you do not want to miss. Uh, if you are on the fence, you better jump on it now before those tickets are gone because once they're gone, they, they're done. Uh, you will not be able to get in there. Um, now, uh, let's, let's start kind of, uh, breaking it down, Jackson. We've got, uh, the Fresno state offense facing off this Oregon state defense. You've got a chance to kind of break it down a little bit already. So what did you come up with? Yeah, this is, uh, certainly the matchup that is the most intriguing out of everything because, uh, Oregon state, they came out hot against the Broncos. They forced uh, Boise State's veteran quarterback Hank Lockmeyer into two picks in their first eight passes, and they sent him to the bench. <laughs> I, mean, I, I had a lot of scenarios for what might happen against Boise State and Oregon State in that game, and, and Bachmeyer getting benched was not one of them. So uh, the Beavers came out really hot defensively, and the big thing on their end is their play in the secondary. Um, they've got some really talented defensive backs. They got two that were preseason all Pac-12 second-teamers. They've got one first-team player on defense who is a a linebacker, um, Omar Spates. But the secondary is what's really intriguing because the Bulldogs have so much talent at receiver. Uh, Are these going to be some guys that are, you know, going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Bulldog receivers and give Fresno State a tougher time than they're used to? Uh, I think they might be able to slow them down, and the Bulldogs might – not be as highly successful on a percentage standpoint, but I still think they're going to have uh, some big plays there. Um, but on the defensive side, Rajon Wright is a cornerback. He's a really tall, long kind of corner, uh, really good in coverage. And um, he's got uh, some strong bloodlines as well uh, on the football field uh, coming from the Bay area. 
uh, known about this guy for a long time. Kind of surprised Oregon State got him in the first place. And then safety Jaden Grant as well. He's been really good for uh, the Beavers. Um, so they've got some athletes in the secondary that are going to be up for the challenge for the Bulldogs passing game. And they're not bad up front either. It's going to be a 3-4 scheme. Um, they're not huge up front, but they're physical. And they're going to be one of those teams where usually the inside linebackers are just going to be racking up tackles. They're going to try to force everything middle and two of those guys to clean it up. And we already saw last week, I believe their starters combined for 17 tackles um, in their first game. Uh, their, their primary guy last year who graduated had like 130 tackles last season. So um, you, you're going to look for a defense that's going to try to wreak some havoc just in general with, the three defensive linemen and the two outside linebackers, and then those inside backers trying to just clean things up and finish plays that they're going to be pretty reliable with. And then some strong coverage skills in the secondary. It's going to be a neat matchup. I think the Bulldogs are going to have a lot more success than Boise State did, but it's going to be diff- uh, you know, more difficult than we're used to seeing Fresno State try to move the ball and put up points. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, this one being here uh, – here at uh, Valley Children's uh, Stadium, uh, the fans are going to try and and make sure that uh, the Bulldogs have a, an audition to the Pac-12, so to speak, Jackson. Because uh, here's their opportunity to show that they belong with a, a Pac-12 opponent. So I, I anticipate a lot of noise, especially when the Bulldogs are on defense. And so how does the defense match up against the, the Oregon State offense here? Yeah, and so Oregon State's offense has really been kind of the forefront of their resurgence over there. Um, the last season, they had their first winning year in about seven years, and it was led by a strong offense more so than the defense that we saw last weekend. Um, they did have a 1,300-yard rusher in B.J. Baylor, and he left for the NFL draft. So the Bulldogs are fortunate they're not going to have to face him. And we didn't really see the heir apparent against the Broncos either. Uh, no one rushed for more than 40 yards, I don't think, for Oregon State, uh, or more than 50 yards. They spread it out a little bit. So uh, we will see an offense that's going to be physical and try to establish the run, but it doesn't look like they have an overwhelming talent in the backfield to worry about. And in the passing game as well, um, kind of similar. I mean, they've got some solid guys. They spread the ball around quite a bit. Not a, a lot of huge number performers. Even the quarterback, Chance Nolan, who's a returning starter, uh, he was on the verge of potentially losing his spot over this offseason. Uh, Oregon State hosted uh, USC transfer, uh, well, USC and Georgia transfer uh, JT Daniel over the offseason, and, and they weren't able to get him. So they're sticking with Nolan. I mean, they played really solid against Boise State, but kind of the players that stood out are at positions you, you wouldn't necessarily think of. And it goes to further indicate kind of the physicality and the more traditional aspects of this offense. And the two players I'm referring to are tight end Luke Musgrave, who had 89 yards and a touchdown in the passing game for Oregon State, a big six foot six tight end that they utilized. And as well as a fullback who was actually a, a linebacker, Jack Coletto, they lined him up at the fullback position. He had a 41-yard touchdown run last weekend. So some of these odd positions, I don't want to say odd, but you know, we're, we're almost in a point where Fresno State's 
uh, a little bit of an anomaly with all the tight ends that they have and the way they use them. But Oregon State's going to have some of that too, even some fullback action. Going to be a little more old school than uh, a lot of the offenses that we're used to seeing come President State's way. Yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, interesting to see just how the Bulldogs' defense does against this uh, uh, their Oregon State defense when they really don't have one particular player they need a key on. Uh, so it's going to be uh, basically what type of game plan the Bulldogs are going to come up with is what's pretty much going to ultimately decide how they 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 do on defense here. Now, this past game, the special teams really didn't make as much of a factor as we both anticipated it was going to be. Do you expect them to continue to try and get the special teams going on this upcoming game? Yeah, and that was the one part where uh, Remigio was not so electric. <laughs> he had a couple of return attempts. Didn't see a whole lot from that part of the game, um, but we certainly saw it on offense. Uh, one thing the Bulldogs did do very well was his kickoffs. Uh, Abraham Montano, we kicked off six times and put all six into the end zone for touchbacks, which just doesn't sound all that sexy, but it's a really important if you have a kicker that can do that. Uh, not have to worry about uh, return coverage or giving up a big play. I mean, that can be brutal. It also just uh, starts to add up with the amount of reps that those return players or the coverage players take if they do have to make tackles and make stops every time you're kicking off. So that's a, a pretty big deal, even though it doesn't sound like the biggest thing in the world. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of of uh, significant improvements, especially in the return game. So, you know, Coach Baxter said he was expecting something big to happen within the first three weeks, and now they're on the clock a little bit. We're one week's down, and uh, you know, they're running out of time a little bit to, to make that happen. So hopefully between Oregon State and USC, they, they have one of those big monster plays that we're anticipating to see come from that unit. That's funny that uh, he, he, we're, we're putting them officially on the clock here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, 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 the Bulldogs definitely are going to uh, have to try and make something happen on special teams because there's a lot of – a lot of expectations happening that uh, they are going to do something uh, and do something uh, big because, uh, let's face it, it's been quite some time since uh, the Bulldogs have had some type of of excitement on special teams other than the kicking game. Um, but the return game has been pretty much non-existent for the last few years, and that's something that uh, they really need to get going because that usually adds another level of excitement, especially here at home uh, when the Bulldogs are making plays on special teams too, right, Jackson? I mean, if you go back and remember those those huge plays the uh, the Bulldogs of old had, a, a, a lot of times those huge games were off of feeding off of special teams. Yeah, just when I kind of think back to some of the biggest plays in the last couple of years, I think about um, Jameer Jordan catching a Hawaii field goal that fell short, taking it 100 yards back. I think about the two uh, Idaho field goal blocks returned for little long touchdowns by Jaron Bryant. And, uh, yeah, we haven't seen a whole lot of those since, or even <laughs> many of those before, especially not in the return game, some guys like Isaiah Burst and Pippen Smith and AJ Jefferson and those kind of guys. So, yeah, that's been uh, been longing to see that, and it's almost less about not having touchdowns and more about the frustrations of 
the last several years, kickoff returns, it just seems like they they just they get eaten up even before they hit the 25-yard line most times. If they would have just fair caught some of those balls that you're now allowed to do, <laughs> been a net positive in, in a lot of the past seasons. So, yeah, that, that needs to be fixed, and they, they fell short of that as well against Cal Poly. Yeah, it's definitely something that really needs to kind of start happening for the Bulldogs. It'll it'll help energize everything uh, and get the crowd going. So, you know, keep an eye on that. You, you, we may see a little wrinkle or two from Coach Baxter to try and get that special teams going. Uh, whether or not it's going to show up in this upcoming game, uh, it's a... Uh, it's a it's a coin toss, <laughs> so we'll we'll see what happens there. But as as the Bulldogs were taking on Cal Poly, there was other stuff happening in the Mountain West, and you know there's like one game in particular that a lot of people were keeping their eye on, and that was Oregon State against Boise State, and Oregon State comes out on top, thirty four to seventeen on that one. And what did you take away from that matchup there, Jackson? Yeah, it wasn't even as close as the score said. Uh, I tuned in after covering Stanford's game over in the Bay Area, and it was 24-3, to I believe, and Oregon State had a, a big play where they messed up. or It looked like a touchdown. They called it short. They ended up turning <laughs> the ball over. It would have been like 31-3 to or 34-3. to <laughs> It would have been all over, but all of a sudden Boise State made it look a little more respectable by the end of the game. Yeah, well, I was just really surprised. Not just that Oregon State won. Uh, I could have seen that happening for sure. We did, had no idea. <laughs> we were pretty fifty-fifty we on what we thought and what we wanted to happen in that game. But yeah. Boise State just doesn't look like that in any game, let alone a Power Five game where they usually, uh, in recent years, have have risen to those opportunities. And you know, looking back to last year, they were seven and five. They weren't that great of a team, uh, regardless of what they did <laughs> against the Bulldogs. Uh, but all five of those losses were by 11 points or less. I mean, they lost a lot of close ones. And this was not a close one at all against Oregon State. So um, I don't know how much of it was Boise State poor performance and how much was Oregon State's good performance. But uh, you certainly have a little more respect for the Beavers coming into the Fresno this weekend after seeing what they did. I mean, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, is Boise State that bad? Or, or is Oregon State that good? Uh, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, it's kind of a, a, you know, you throw up your hands in the air and you're going to figure it out next weekend <laughs> uh, or this coming upcoming weekend just how good Oregon State is and just how bad Boise State is. So it's going to be one of those... Uh, wait and see if the Bullocks come out firing on all cylinders and come out with a win, then one can only suspect that Boise may struggle this season. Uh, however, we've seen that happen before, and then they come in here and just blow out Fresno State. So <laughs> it's, it, 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 you never know. Uh, so, But that was one of those key matchups that happened this past weekend. Uh, I'm taking a look here to see another one of these, and it was San Diego State against Arizona. Uh, Arizona came out on top, 38-20, to and another Pac-12 team uh, facing off against the Mountain West team. And what's your, what's your take on that is – uh, again, is San Diego State bad, or did San Diego State hold their own for the most part? Yeah, that's another odd one, too, because 
<laughs> that game was perfectly set up for San Diego State. You got a new stadium. They're against the what's believed to be the worst team in the Pac-12. They only won one game last year, and uh, the team they beat is one that I cover, Cal, who was basically put out all their backups because of COVID. <laughs> they lost the, all their starters were not allowed to travel, so they really should have been 0-12 last year. Uh, and then San Diego State at home, new stadium, national TV. I mean, I wrote that one down as a, a feel-good story for the Aztecs, and it was disaster. Uh, they didn't quite sell out the stadium on its first game. The fans that were there, there's a lot of video documentation of them uh, seeking shade and trying to find water and ice that apparently ran out. <laughs> it just looked like a total disaster. And then you factor in what happened on the field. I mean, they lost, and it wasn't pretty either. I mean, they Arizona took control of the game and, and ran away with it. It wasn't a very exciting game at all. And uh, that's another one. Is San Diego State bad, or is Arizona a lot better? Because Arizona did add 50-plus uh, players, from my understanding, this offseason. They're in their second year with their head coach, who seems to be putting the Wildcats on track. They added Jaden Delora, who was just an electric quarterback at Washington State. It kind of didn't work out there. Arizona is lucky to, to have a quarterback like that at this stage. So um, Arizona may very well be better. <laughs> but still, I mean, San Diego State was a double-digit win team. They were ranked. In what world do they lose to a 1-11 team, even a Pac-12 one with a lot of new players? Certainly feels like the Aztecs took a step back. Uh, their Power 5 quarterback transfer, Burmeister, was not the answer at all. I believe he was 5 for 10 with an interception. Just looks like a lot more of the same from San Diego State, but uh, with a, a lesser potency to it. And, and they got to go to Utah, I believe, still. And they've got Boise State. I mean, they, they could rack up a couple losses by the time Fresno State and San Diego State play each other. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to to kind of uh, figure out how how this is going to shake out. It's going to be one of those years. Uh, it's roll the dice and see who starts to come out on top uh, on top uh, in the Mountain West. And so, um, you know, we're going to need a couple more uh, sample, a couple more weeks to get a sample size of of just who is going to be dangerous and who's not. Um, and uh, and I'm taking a look here to see if there was any other games that stood out. Uh, and there's a couple, uh, you know, Colorado State against Michigan, uh, Michigan coming out on top, 51 to seven, and Utah State against Alabama, uh, and uh, Alabama came out 55 to nothing. So, what do you make of that, Jackson? We've got uh, the Mountain West heading out of conference and pretty much gets annihilated uh, against uh, a lot of these Power Five schools. Yeah, man, not surprised about those ones. I mean, those were going to be massively lopsided games. <laughs> uh, Hawaii took another blowout loss uh, at home against Western Kentucky. I uh, was 49-17. Um, a couple of teams took care of business, though. Uh, Wyoming, who just looked awful in Week 0, came back and beat a pretty good Tulsa team. Took double overtime and uh, I think two special teams touchdowns, but <laughs> they did get the win uh, when it was all said and done. Uh, Nevada's 2-0, uh, kind of expected them to beat Texas State, but they did it a little more emphatically than I thought, a 24-point win there. Um, Air Force as well, had no trouble with Northern Iowa. I thought that game might be a little uncomfortably close, but it sure wasn't. So even New Mexico beat Maine 41-0. to I don't know what to make out of that too much, but uh, they did bring out a, a new Big 12 quarterback transfer over there for the Lobos, who got off to a good start. So 
Yeah, it's, uh, I think the biggest takeaway for me uh, out of week one and Fresno State's opponent to the Mountain West is that you figured the biggest roadblocks to winning a conference championship are going to be um, San Diego State, of course, in the West, and Boise State in the Mountain Division, uh, maybe Utah State, and uh, all those teams looked pretty pathetic <laughs> out of the gate. And so the road to a conference championship sure feels like it's a little easier than we expected, but uh, things can certainly look different by the time those games come around on the schedule, and especially in Boise, having to go to the blue turf. That's uh, never uh, an, an enjoyable situation, regardless of what their record is. Absolutely, and uh, we'll just have to kind of see how that's going to progress. But I know, Jackson, you need to get going for another interview here in the next few minutes. I'm going to run through the matchups that are going to play this week and then uh, call out a couple of them and uh, tell us your thoughts on, on those before you head off. So we've got Boise State taking on New Mexico, UNLV taking on Cal, Colorado taking on Air Force, and then Colorado State taking on Middle Tennessee, Wyoming takes on Northern Colorado, Nevada takes on Incarnate Word, Utah State, Weber State, San Diego State takes on Idaho State, Auburn and San Jose State, you know, of course, Fresno State takes on Oregon State, and then last, Hawaii uh, takes on Michigan. Which one? Which of those games stand out for you? Uh, I'm a little curious about Boise State at New Mexico. That's a Friday night game. It's on national TV. We'll both have a little momentum. Boise State just had one of their worst openers ever. Uh, there's every reason for the Lobos to keep this one closer than they would typically would against Boise State, and. We'll see if, if uh, that is what happens or if Boise State just blows them out like uh, they would in normal Boise State fashion. Um, so I'm curious to see how those two teams perform in, in week two. Uh, UNLV as well at Cal. Uh, the Rebels looked awfully good in week zero. They beat an FCS opponent, but a little different type of UNLV team than we're used to seeing. Cal's, uh, I, I think they're going to be a winning team when it's said and done in the Pac-12, but not a team that's uh, not beatable for the Rebels. So I was curious to see how that one comes out. And um, Air Force, Colorado, or Air Force hosting Colorado. Uh, the Buffaloes look pretty bad in the opening week. So a really good chance there for the Mountain West to score a, a Power 5 victory. Um, uh, there's uh, there are a lot of the FBS, FCS games within the conference. Uh, not all that interested in those ones, but would like to see if Colorado State bounces back. They're going to get Middle Tennessee State. That's a lot more favorable matchup than going to Michigan. I think the Rams are going to be pretty good outside of that Michigan game this year. And San Jose State goes to Auburn. I'm curious to see if the Spartans look any better than they did against Portland State. That was not what I expected. Was a, they needed a late touchdown to avoid that game. Uh, we'll see if they just came out slow and they give Auburn a fight or if that one gets ugly. Um, so that, could, uh, that some, one can get ugly by the first quarter. <laughs> yeah. So there's some interesting matchups there. Um, but more so, uh, I think just trying to see if what happened in week one is validated by some teams or if they look completely different, which we oftentimes see that. One team looks horrible in week one and all of a sudden it starts clicking the very next week. And vice versa. A team that gets the big win in week one falls in week two. It happens all the time. In fact, I think it was mentioned, uh, I saw on Twitter, Fresno State, hard to believe, has not been 2-0 and since 2013. So 
uh, that in itself is a milestone this weekend if the Bulldogs beat the Beavers and what I feel is like the best game in the Mountain West this weekend and uh, we're fortunate enough to be there to see it. Absolutely. I, uh, I'm telling you it's the game of the uh, conference is on this week. Fresno State takes on Oregon State. And with that being said, Jackson, any final thoughts so we can get you off? Yeah, just head to barkboard.com. Uh, we've got a lot of content from the opener. If you haven't caught up on that yet, then we're working on all of our main stories coming up for this week as well, our, our coverage there. If you're not on VIP yet, uh, you can join for just a dollar for your first month. And what better time than to take advantage of that than right now where you're going to get this uh, big week for the Oregon State game. You're getting the big week for USC. And I think you'll learn pretty quickly uh, in the bye week that subscription is pretty valuable because uh, if the Bulldogs are having Bulldog fever, if they're 3-0 and and it's a big time to be a Fresno State fan and then it's going to be kind of weird to have a bye right after that. That's where we thrive in those times where it's bye weeks and off seasons where we're still pumping out Fresno State content that you might not get anywhere else. So uh, if you're not a member, go put down a dollar and uh, give us a shot in some of these biggest weeks we've got here to, to go through September. Absolutely. And of course, as always, if you're looking for Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. Oh boy, I had a brain fart there. So JacksonMoore247. You can find me on Twitter at Red Wave Report. You can also head over to our Facebook page and give it a like as usual. And uh, if you haven't done so already, head over to thebarkboard.com where we've got both free and premium uh, subscriptions there. And, of course, the premium is where you want to be because that's where you get the content that you're craving. Uh, As always, I want to thank everyone for joining us and join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics.